You know, when we first started eight years ago, our primary customers were startups. They were like the earliest stage startups. 80% of them were the earliest stage startups you could think of. Totally, right? Um, and 90% of them were always scrambling for the next raise. Now, I came from corporate large companies and things like cap tables and raising capital. Uh, you know, it was different, right? 409As and I, that was really foreign to me. But to you, you kind of had cut your teeth in, in a startup environment, your yep. first job out of grad school, right? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a whole different experience, right? And uh, I really enjoyed being part of that startup world and kind of cutting my teeth there because as, as in any job or any anywhere, the, the more that you're exposed to, the faster you learn, right? And so some of these nuances, I felt like, I felt like, eh, I'm a smart guy, corporate finance, graduate degree, but they never taught us about foreign INAs and cap tables. Or, or even the valuations, right? Like, valuations. Speaking of corporate finance, you know, what's what's corporate finance 101 when it comes to valuations? DCF. Discounted cash flow right? or multiple of uh, revenue, multiple of EBITDA. Yeah, not, not using Black-Scholes models like for foreign INAs. Yeah, when it comes to startups, right, your, your valuation is totally different because your valuation is not just about, is not about past experience or expectations. It's about future opportunity. And, you know, we talk about like that trusted advisor, you know, working for startups, being a CFO or an accountant for startups, I learned really quickly. Yes, there's this whole like school of nomenclature that you don't learn in, in college, but you also are doing things like stock options, employee onboarding, you know, a lot of different things that go on with a startup that you just normally don't see with a plain vanilla retail business or manufacturing business. Yeah, I think like two kind of two main things that, you know, for people that like either are exposed to it enough to know that they need to learn more or like, hey, I, I want to focus on startups as a another like core like customer base. Um, one is that, you know, as that kind of like advisor, you're going to be you are going to be the, the hub of uh, whether it's HR, whether it's IT, whether it's you name it, right? They're going to be coming to you. Can I spend money on this? Can I spend money on that? Um, well, what's it What's it do? What's it for? Like, what's it going to do for your business, right? So you're going to be at that hub, like in the middle. And two, it's, it's you got to learn the, that, that life cycle of the startup. Um, you know, what, they're out there, they're, they're, they're pitching their story, right? You're going to help, have to help them with the pitch deck, right? How do you pitch? What do you talk about? How do you form, how do you put your, put your slide deck together? How do you come up with a valuation? Once you do raise money, what do you, what, what are you looking at next? You're looking at employees, you're looking at onboarding, you're looking at 409As because you want to give them options. And I, I could go on and yeah, on. Yeah. So I look back, I mean, eight years ago, back in 2013, and 2014, 2013, like my first foray into what we're doing today at Growth Lab, I was actually like, oh yeah, I know how to do business modeling. Like, I'm I'm not an accountant. Like, I'm naturally like cash flow modeling, business modeling, performance projections. That came very natural to me. Yeah. Whereas this shit with like debits and credits don't come very natural to me. I still don't know what side of the you know whether it's left or right for de debits and credits. Right. Like my first like um, first time in this business which ultimately is a finance as a service, it was really about cash flow. Somebody came up to me and was like, hey, you you know how to put together a pitch deck. You know how to put a, a, a pro forma a business model together. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. That's what I did for the last 15 years, right? In one way or another. But cap tables, series A, seed, pre-seed, like all that stuff, I had to learn on the fly and I learned a lot with you.
Yeah. And, uh, you know, compensation packages, you know, I remember some of the early conversations, you know, some of them were hard conversations, some of them were easy conversations, but, you know, equity is your, you know, your most expensive type of compensation and uh, early stage uh, first time founders. It, it's rare that they would internalize that uh, because it, to them at that point in time, it just feels like free money. First time <laughs> founders. They're great. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the FAS Evolution. Today I have with me Stephen Byler, and we're going to be talking about how to move from a bookkeeper, to, from an accountant, to a trusted advisor, a CFO, FP&A, but for startups. Steve obviously comes, to, comes at this with years of experience prior to even uh, me meeting him. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for this because a lot of a lot this topic of like 409As and cap tables, equity, like I knew about it, but I didn't know about it through the lens of startups. Well, startups are somewhat unique. It's a grind. It usually tends to be one or two individuals. You get very close with these people and you and the good, the bad, the ugly, right? We argue with them. You know, we hug them. We celebrate. Um and they really become you're almost, you're definitely an extension of the team. Yeah, especially those those early customers that we had, um, where you know you really are kind of embedding yourself there, and, and not embedding it was, at that point in time. Like let's face it, it wasn't really embedding the firm. Uh, it was embedding like Dan and Steve, or Dan or Steve into like their 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 uh, management team. Right, and that's where we got the mo of like that is what we want the company to be able to do, and and to as we as we grew, like replacing ourselves there with other team members. Uh, you know, it's harder to do that mm -hmm. when when you're not in every meeting. But um, that's kind of where we got our mo of of trying to make the company as a as Growth Lab uh, be that uh, be that extension of the management team. You know, I describe our journey, whether it's the marketing journey, whether it's the journey from fractional CFO to finance and service, very unintentional, right? Um, I think when we first met, I kind of threw out the idea to you like, hey, this can be a multifaceted service. It doesn't, you don't have to just go out and hire a bookkeeper. You don't have to go out and hire a fractional CFO. We could bring this under one umbrella. And then ultimately, you know, what we've done is quote unquote productized. But with that, I think we had a leg up. And it, yes, it was somewhat unintentional, but I think we had a leg up because unlike a lot of our listeners who are very focused on the accounting, cloud accounting, as uh, many of our listeners are moving, trying to move uh, closer to the FP&A model um, and hopefully see a fractional CFO, virtual CFO. Right. I think we, we, because we started as fractional CFOs for venture-backed startups, that was somewhat of a leg up because... We, are, we were already providing that trusted advisor. We just moved down, if you will, um, if you want to look at it that way, moved down the information right? chain. And the information chain, because we appreciated the value that good, solid bookkeeping and accounting provide, especially on a monthly basis, to do your job as a CFO. Yeah, no, so advisor. We've had the, the conversation multiple times of, you know, we did have that leg up partly be, in, in part because we, you and I, are not the ones that they, customers want doing their books right and that's a hindrance because you know we can't you know we can't just do all everything we do here at growth lab by ourselves right but because of that we had to build the team the process the, the framework around how do you uh, execute on this with with a team not just with ourselves today's episode isn't we're not just going to sit here and talk about all of our wins and our journey right it's 
I don't want to, I don't want this to be about our experiences. Obviously, we're going to weave a lot of our experiences into this, but I really want to kind of come out of this episode uh, giving the uh, service provider today one startups are actually kind of cool. They're different. They're, it's a different beast. I believe it's a great market segment for our industry. And two, I would like to start introducing some of this nomenclature to our listeners. And so we're going to do a little bit of a sort of a full circle here. At least I'm going to look at it through like how I learned about this stuff. So step one. Okay, so we're all providing bookkeeping services. And hopefully by now we're all providing cloud accounting services, uh, CAS, and it's on a monthly basis and it's fixed price and you've killed the billable hour. Okay, that's good. So that's like checkbox number one. But and as we I, move, if I can, if I can yeah, jump in there, totally. right, if that's, you know, that's checkbox number one, like that we all take that for table stakes. Right. But if you peel back the onion on that, you've are, you are, you coming to the, the, a, your first startup customer or 10th startup customer uh, with that in mind, you are already coming to them with prescriptions, right? You're already coming to them with, you need to be on zero. You need to be on QBO. You need to be on this. You need to have bill pay. You need to have this, this, you know, you name it, right? You're going to listen to them and you're going to come to them with prescriptions. And so step one, like you're even, uh, you're even ahead of the game because I remember some of our earlier conversations as we were figuring out the tech stack mm -hmm. uh, and QBO, let's face it, 10 years ago kind of sucked. Yep. Uh, but still, you know, we, we were using it and you had to like kind of be there in the journey with them. Nowadays, you know, the conversation looks so much different when you're coming in and prescribing, uh, um, you know, if you're not on QuickBooks Zero, X, Y, you Z, have to be. you know, you're not going to be a customer, period, right? Um, you, so you have you come in with prescription. And I think as we go through this conversation today, um, part of it is like helping you identify what is the prescription, right? Not I just think that's key, cloud Steve, accounting. right? Uh, no, you're, you're, I think you're 100% uh, spot on. For many of us, cloud accounting services, we take that for granted, right? Because uh, accounting inherently lends itself to a prescribed methodology. Why? Because the systems you're using, there's a certain mechanical flow, informational flow. Uh, there's a, a sort of a generally accepted processes. Uh, data goes in, data gets coded, then it gets reconciled to the bank accounts and so on and so forth, right? Whereas as an advisor, it doesn't inherently it doesn't like lend itself well. Why? Because advising is somewhat ad hoc. If you allow the if you allow the customer to pull that mm -hmm. from you, so the customer isn't pulling reconciliations from you. The customer is not pulling uh, accounting services from you. It, why? Because this is already a generally accepted like a, a process approach, right? And I'm trying to use the word gap, right? Generally accepted <laughs> approach to the process. Generally accepted accounting process, uh, yeah. uh, advisory process. Advisory process, right. Uh, um, we actually do know what gap means. <laughs> um, and I think with advisory, it has just, it is, it is just a poll system. The customer wants something just like the lawyer model, the CPA model. The customer picks up the phone and says, hey, Stephen, I'm thinking of raising money because I'm running out of money. Okay, all hands on deck. Right, bad and, move. It should be that way. Right, and it's it's so it's knowing that knowing that journey, and and you know we all uh, because startups are kind of like sexy. The startups are like in vogue. Everybody kind of knows what the startup journey looks like, but it's some of those things underlying it, like in, in accounting, like reconciliation, mm -hmm. like which business owner actually wants to do a reconciliation, which business owner wants to do a four hundred nine a, which business owner wants to manage their cap table, which you know you fill in the blank. Nobody wants to do like corporate governance, but it's a lot of the corporate governance stuff is the stuff that you can help them navigate. And you as the 
bookkeeper, the you know the, the one that's been having that relationship, mm -hmm. you can grow into this. And so if you can come to the, come to them with prescriptions around how they should do this or tools they should use, because you don't have to know, you don't have to do all this yourself. Um, there's tools out there, there's platforms out there that you can direct them to, like Shoebox, like Carta, um, to uh, you know execute on the, on those nitty gritty details, and you can be the advisor. So top three reasons why you, our audience, should really consider startups, especially venture bank startups as a potential source of new business, a potential source of a focus for your business. So I'd say one is other people's money, okay? So unfortunately, startups are like one of those situations where either they're in the money or they're out of the money or out of money. Um, but when, they're, when they hit and they've raised, like there is financial security. So I say, you know, reason number one is, is that there's other people's money at the table. Number two, I will say um, they, they meaning the founders, are focused on product development and the customer. And they don't have the headspace for this other crap, especially the corporate governance, uh, managing cash burn, never mind reconciliations and accounting, right? So they're just grinding it out, right? So other people's money and hyper-focused management. What would be a third one, Steve? Uh, you know, I, 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 I think those two are great. And I think the third one is just opportunity, right? Um, you know, you, with a, your average ongoing business as a new customer, steady Eddie, steady Eddie, right? And yes, you're going to bring startups on board and some of them are going to fail and they'll be no longer be customers, but there'll be others that come in and, are, and take off. And I'll, I'll even throw a fourth one in there is, you know, um, you can test yourself. And you can learn yourself. And, and I don't want to use your customers as guinea pigs, mm. but if you have a customer that wants you and is willing to take a risk on you as you try to test out these new waters or test out different things, take advantage of it. You know, you are going to, you are going to help them. Maybe in five years, you'll look back and be like, oh, I could help them a lot better, mm -hmm. but you can help them. You can help them like in that, in that journey. Yeah. So let's call it top five because now I got a fifth one, right? So I would say number five is it's a competitive advantage for your business because Startups are somewhat intimidating to the average accountant, right? Because starting just with the nomenclature, right? Um, and then the, uh, the capital raising process, right? It's a different beast. So I think it's a great uh, competitive advantage for your business. Um, and I know everybody in the industry talks about like niches, niches. Yep. This is somewhat of a niche, but, but still industry agnostic, which is super cool, right? If, because what else is out there? Oh, I'm focused on restaurants or dentists or manufacturing or distributing. But with a startup, you're not really focused on an industry. You're not really you're not focused on a revenue model. It's a stage of the company. And I'm 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 with Steve on that one. Yes, nine out of ten of these are going to fail. They're going to bump around the bottom of the ocean floor, and they're not going to come back up. But man, when you get that one that clicks, you're in. You're 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 in like Flynn for for years. And, and when, some of our biggest customers have been with us for like four or five years. And yeah, and some like, and those, those ones that do fail, like the company fails, probably, but the founder probably learned a lot, and is probably going to come back for a di right. different venture, a different idea, maybe even the same investors. Uh, and you know, if if they love what they've seen, they're going to come right back to the same place where they knew that they uh, uh, were able to succeed with reporting, with you know, good good solid Spot books. On. Like it wasn't it wasn't you or the accounting that failed. It was the, the business that failed. All right. So for our audience, those are your top five reasons to focus on startups. Love it. Now we really want to kind of talk a little bit about 
that I consider the kind of the boring stuff is our audience is trying to be closer, trying to be that advisor. And, you know, yes, it would be great if, if, if this isn't being pulled, but pushed mm-hmm. on a, in a prescribed manner on a monthly basis, cadence, right? We talk about that, right? Oh, I love it. So yeah. let's kind of talk a little bit about how you can position your value proposition to your startup customer. So let's talk about four nine A's. What is a four nine A? And why is it so important? Uh, do you mind if I just like go like do no. like do like a large like arc of like the, the customer journey, yes. right? All right? Let's do that. Um, because the four nine A's do pl- do play a part of that, and I think are very intimidating. But you know, let's, let's you got a founder, right? Mm-hmm. They come with an idea, and you know, day day zero, that idea is worth zero. I'm just gonna like focus on that because it mm-hmm. comes back to valuations four nine A's. But you know, you have a brand new idea for the next greatest thing since sliced bread and no employees right and no employees there's zero value there except the idea and so you have to build that zero value into something right and so you start here and you and you go you go forward right you put some you put some money in you get some you know friends and family to put money in so you have some some dough to 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 throw around right right then you go you 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 do your minimum viable product or even you know you don't, don't even have money to do that so you just like start putting together here's the business idea here's my revenue model or here's here's my product what is whatever it is right and then you get to the place where you need you need a little more capital you mm-hmm. want to hire that first employee but you know you want a little little extra capital behind you to de-risk things so you put together your first pitch deck right your first pitch deck probably sucks um, and maybe you reach out to some friends hey can you review this yeah. maybe they give you some good ideas maybe they don't um, but you know you put together the first pitch deck you go out there, you raise a little bit of money and, you know, you're, you're starting to get off to the races, right? Let's just say you're like, you know, you're on a three-year journey that's just up, 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 right? You raise your know, series C, you raise your series A and you're, you're onward, right? Okay. So before we go there, you have an idea. There's no value. It's probably just you, yourself. You Let's know. say there's a co-founder there. Maybe so two, there's a two people to keep, keep pushing each other you along. convince somebody, probably a friends and family to throw some money into the, into the company. So you raise maybe a quarter million dollars and then maybe you start paying for an employee um put start putting together a pitch deck now you also have to kind of understand what is the liquidity profile of this business right what is my three five-year plan and how much cash do i need to raise at certain junctures right certain trenches uh tranches yeah going back to like our story like that was those those early startups that we were working with mm-hmm. that was the conversation we were having with you with them is here's here are my goals right and i know we're pulling a lot of different things in here but the the startup founders they are not like the ongoing business owners, right? Ongoing business owners, maybe they grew up in this or they can manage a business. Even if they're salespeople or technicians, they can manage a business because they've had to, right? Yeah. Uh, startup founders have never, I won't say never, often have never actually needed to manage a business, right? So they tend they to be technical they, they, or technical or sales, yeah. most likely, because those are the people that have the ideas. Either they see, see something, an opportunity technically to create a product or sales. They, you know they can they can so they can CFOs don't have ideas. So they're they're going to be more conservative, right? Yeah. They're not going to be the ones that that, that are going to be like nine out of ten start, startup founders are probably not CF, CFOs. They're probably more the co-founders. So back to this journey, Steve. How does how do our audience members like how do they start positioning their services? Even if it's for that first 12, mm-hmm. 18 month of that journey, right? Be able to forecast a three five year plan. And tell them, here's what you want to do, right? Here's your like sky's the limit. But in order to do that, you're going to need three million, five million, 
over the next and 18 when. months, yep. it's going to be this. Over the next 12 months after that, it's going to be that. So if you really want to do this, here's what you as the founder have to sign up for. It's not coding. It's going to be raising capital. So someone who is focused on debits and credits, somebody who's more of the bookkeeper, it's not always natural, right, for for these individuals to move to sort of a projection forward looking mindset. You know, in um, what advice would you give somebody to put their first three year plan without just slapping Kagers, right? I mean, that's if you don't know what a Kager is, compounding annual growth rate, right? It's too easy to just say, oh, this shit's yeah. going to grow 20 percent a year, right? I would say um, uh, go to our blog and read the 10 steps to financial mo modeling, modeling yeah. right? How do you actually build a plan, right? And you always say, if, if, I, if I were to like map out a p and it would not start with revenue. It would start with my marketing line, right? Because yeah. my marketing line determines uh, how, many, how many customers I can get, how many customers I can get. Uh, and my pricing model determines my revenue, right? So that's where that's where we that's where you start, right? So um, you don't have to go like completely complicated, but don't keep it as simple as like uh, you know a, a ten percent you know uh, growth rate every year or twenty. Yeah, remember it takes money, it takes dollars to grow a business, right? My marketing yeah. budget, uh, and I got to make investments in my headcount, right? So there are like three or four areas where it's a little more natural. So you know what your marketing budget is, plus or minus yeah. 50,000, 100,000, you start there. And what's my customer acquisition cost? Well, that's kind of a known, that's somewhat known. You can observe that in the markets, mm -hmm. right? If you if you use like Google ads or if you use Facebook ads, like that's an easy place to kind of get your customer acquisition costs. Obviously there's always uh, public markets. You can go get customer acquisition costs, get a sense. I mean, you should have a sense of what it costs to get a customer. And if, if that is like all kind of foreign, like there's providers out there that you can, you can get uh, a giraffe, you can, you, you know, we work with CPAs, we work with other, other service providers to help build models, right? Mm -hmm. There are providers out there that can build models for you. So you don't even have to like go to the nth degree and, and learn everything about uh, business modeling, right? Yeah, sometimes it's probably more cost effective to, I mean, not to pitch our services here, but it's, sometimes it's almost more cost effective to hire a company like ours to actually do the model and then create all the reports so that on a monthly basis, you as the accountant can now have a baseline to go off of and you don't have to worry about all of the modeling, right? But let's say you got a plan next next five years, you got your liquidity profile, how much money and when do I need that money to get there? So now you can help start helping them put that pitch deck together, start raising that, raising that capital. So how does an accountant know how to do a pitch deck? Fake it till you make it, right? If you don't know how to do it, there's plenty of stuff out there to tell you how to do it. What, what does the profile of a pitch deck look like, right? How many slides? What, what's the flow of those slides, right? Start off with like, not like the backstory, just start off with like, Boom, where you're at today, right? Uh, if, if your customer can get that first customer, like start off with that that first customer, even if it's beta, even if they're not paying, mm -hmm. somebody that's got a product, most of the time, most pitches don't have a don't have a product. No. Right. They're they're all like ideas. And if you have if you have a product or you have one customer, or even if even if it's a customer that failed and you pivoted, now you have your next customer, Present. tell that story, right? Uh, but I, I won't go into like the profile of a pitch deck, but you Got to get a pitch deck together that that can convince an investor that uh, uh, this team can execute because it's even mm -hmm. less about the idea or the product, it's about the team. So you've got that first twelve months of that startup's journey. Um, chances are you're probably not even providing bookkeeping or accounting services for that startup because they don't even have any money in the bank, so they're not spending anything, right? It's it's almost kind of like counterintuitive, like or foolish to even think about 
trying to, I always tell startups, I was like, oh, you want to do bookkeeping? I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to teach you how to do your own books. So at least you do your own books for six, six, 12 months. Today, we, uh, a longtime customer of ours, but they've only been on the tax side and we've helped them a little bit here and there. Uh, they just raised three and a half million dollars, like their first real right. big round. Cause, and now they're like, okay, I think we're ready for a bookkeeping. I was like, you sure are now. <laughs> right, right. And, and uh, some customers like, you know, the profile of like those customers that come in for that model build, because we've been talking about that. Like we do that, we often do that as a project, right? Because we don't, we don't like to do hourly work. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do that month in, month out uh, work, whether it's bookkeeping, whether it's FP&A, whether it's CFO. But we'll say, we'll do this as a project because it's going to be up to you. Yes, we'll help you. It's going to be up to you to raise money. But if you don't raise money and you pivot and go get another job, right? You don't need bookkeeping. You don't need anything else, yeah. right? Um, so let's just, let's help you put that financial forecast together, the liquidity profile, the pitch deck together. Then let's, let's help you raise money. Once you do raise money, then you do need to, you know, get a report to those investors. So you need books, good books, right? And you're going to need to like, make sure you're managing against plan because the first thing that happens with these companies after they raise their seed is they're like, oh crap, I just sold the world to this investor <laughs> and they're expecting this and I'm going to do this, yeah. right? And you know, it, you kind of like hit your head against the wall sometimes uh, because you have to help them uh, then navigate that second board meeting. Cause the first board meeting is all like, High five. Everybody's happy, right? Yeah. Uh, it's that second board meeting when, like, oh, oh the results are not like coming in as we expected, right? We know that like you were gonna you're focused on raising capital, so we didn't expect results like super quick. But now, you know, now it's been six months and we're not seeing results, and the investors get to like get a little like antsy, right? You told and, me this when you needed a million dollars, <laughs> and now you're telling me this after you've gotten my million dollars. So. The interesting point here, and it's maybe it's a little ironic, right? As we're uh, explaining sort of this unintentional journey of ours, are leading with leading with projections, leading with financial modeling, business modeling, is actually a great entry point for startups. Now, when you think about it, so Steve just mentioned we don't do hourly. Nope, don't do hourly. But in lieu of doing project, because let's face it, if you put a $10,000 or even $5,000 uh, price tag on a financial model, you know, most founders are just going to choke. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is it, we actually spread or amortize the cost of that 5000 into monthly reoccurring. And what happens here is at, it's about the journey because it's still a relationship-based business here. And so if you do a one and done, you're, you're doing what you do during tax season. It's, you file the taxes and I'll see you next year. We don't want that. What we're trying to do is, and maybe it's a little bit taking it on the chin the first three months. You know, our gross margins aren't like the greatest in the first three months of any relationship. But we invest and we over, you know, we over process, um, over deliver, over service, yeah. right? Over service to create that relationship. Because by the third month, that founder has pretty much like forgotten that they're paying you every month and they actually begin to appreciate the conversations. And then after month three, that's mm -hmm. when you start really making money because now that that three or five year model has been built, now you can begin to revisit, right? And you can help that founder raise capital, navigate certain conversations, well, even maybe put a pitch deck together, talk about a cap table. So now, now they've raised money, a seed round, call it a couple of safes, maybe convertible notes. And now they're like, oh shit, I just gave up this much. Uh, I have dilution. What's this thing called dilution, right? So let's start with dilution. 
And then let's talk about the cap table. Well, dilution is a cap table. So, you know, you, you let's just say it was an equity raise. Your, ser your Series C, to a price round. So you sold a piece, of, a piece of the company, most likely somewhere in the 10 to 20% of the company you sold. Um, and most likely that got the lead investor a board seat. Mm -hmm. So now it's not just like... Uh, Two founders sitting at around the table making the making the best product in the world. Now it's two founders and a, uh, a lead investor sitting around the board table. It's going to be a total pain in the ass. Course, right? <laughs> um, and but, you had to give you had to sell pretty much your shares, right? Is yeah. that how it works? Uh, you don't just sell your shares, but you sell additional shares, right? So mm -hmm. you know you you let's say there's a hundred shares, right? And uh, and you and me are the the founders. We've got a hundred shares. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a hundred percent of the company. Right. Yeah. Um, when we sell uh, a piece of the company, I'm not actually taking, let's say we do 20 percent. Let's let's say we're 50 50. Uh, you don't give 10. I don't give 10 and they get 20. Uh, that's not how typically it works. Okay. Typically, it's like it's new shares. Right. So we we, we both still have 50 shares and they've got 20. Hmm. So that's but that's dilution, because now even though there's a bigger like go back to the pie, right? The pie just got bigger. Mm -hmm. Right, because we went from 100 shares to 120 shares, but your percent, and my percent went down because we put another somebody else came in and ate a piece of that pie. So let's say that 20 percent that this investor now owns is held amongst, say, 50 investors. What's the importance of the cap table? Let's touch on that. And should I be managing the cap table for my customers? Is that a viable service offer? Uh, it, if you are very savvy with Excel, it is a viable method. Um, it was probably, it was more viable 10 years ago. Um, now you've got Shoebox, you've got Carta, you've got Cap.io, you've got, you got a lot of systems out there that will help manage the cap table. Mm -hmm. And you, have, you also have to keep in mind, like you are quote unquote competing with, uh, uh lawyers when you start to try to manage a cap table. And most lawyers don't want to manage a cap table. Nope. Uh, you know, but you have to be aware of it because if you are like taking that away and the, the lawyer had, had that as a piece of their engagement, um, you know, you could be like ruffling somebody's feathers that you don't want to ruffle. You want to partner with the other service providers to give that founder the best experience possible and the best advice possible. But more likely than not, the lawyer doesn't really want to manage the cap table. The lawyer wants to do the fun stuff and let you help them manage the cap table. So get them onto Shoebox, get them onto Carta because it de-risks you because mm -hmm. you are not then a, don't have to be the fiduciary and you are not the holder of the truth. You know, Shoebox is the holder of the truth or Carta is the holder of the truth and the, the customer owns that. Yes, you can help them manage the process. You can leverage uh, Carta's onboarding team to get, you know, get, get everything you need to in which there. Which is huge. Which again, you don't need to know everything about corporate governance. And you don't need to read you all can those just, documents. You can just go through, the, go through the process with them. And, and that's something that the founder, the technical founder, the salesperson, doesn't really want to do and they need that extra confidence that there's another set of eyes okay so our listeners are saying to themselves okay you build a model that's a one-off thing uh you manage a cap table it's not really proactive it's usually one-off once you raise the money um what are some of the more like recurring stuff now that you're starting mm -hmm. to touch on corporate governance what are some of the recurring things that our audience can learn to do and add value to their customers yeah i'd say figure out what that um Call it quarterly, and then you get down to like monthly mm -hmm. cadence needs to be. So you you do have this model. They've raised money, so therefore you're going to have board meetings, right? Those conversations between the two founders now have that third person at the table, like literally. And more likely than not, that the founder does not look forward to the board meetings. Uh, maybe you don't either, but you can help them get ready for that. You can help them prepare for that. Here's what we told them. 
here's where we're at. We need to we need to tell the story between this and this. Okay, right? so now you're starting to touch on monthly reporting, quarterly reporting, so, like actuals to budget. That's a big one, right? right. Variance analysis. Mm -hmm. Why is variance analysis so critical to investors? Investor reporting. Yeah, because because you told them one thing, and, and you did another, and, and you're doing another. Maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. But what what the investor coming into that conversation is going to have? Well, okay, so it's it's better. Why is it better? What's going on? Is your, customer, is your customer acquisition cost down? Are you spending money faster than you anticipated? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on, right? So it's critical for the investor, but it's also critical for you, the service provider, because you can build services around that and you can build productized services around that, right? Our FP&A team uh, is now doing like 80% of what Dan and I used to do for those early co companies that we uh, were essentially the kind of the, the outsourced CFO for, right? And now we've got analysts and, and an FP&A lead uh, doing 80% of that that work and it's focused around two major meetings a, a month, right? You close the books for accounting, right? And then uh, all the FPNA stuff is the forward looking, right? Mm -hmm. uh, FPNA and CFO. And, and so you, you pick up from the accounting close, you have a finance call, where are we at? Actuals to budgets, just nitty gritty, nuts and bolts, 20% over, 10% under, hired faster. A lot of comes out of those conversations, right? Um, that, so it's a finance call and then two weeks later is an ops call. Ops call is more about, okay, now that we are we are 20% ahead of budget, what do we need? What do we need to change in order to be able to either ex execute against our, our goals? Either we maybe we pull back a little bit because we don't need to grow quite as quickly over the next four months, or maybe if we're under budget, maybe we need to spend faster. Maybe we need to hire faster. I love it. Yeah, I mean we're kind of going back to cadence and reporting. Let's talk about nomenclature again. Cash burn, cash mm -hmm. outdates. Like, why does everybody talk about that? Why is that even important for our audience to know? Because unlike these, unlike the uh, uh, ongoing businesses that actually that, make money. That if they have a cash outdate, they are out of business, right? <laughs> um, cash outdates for startups are less about going out of business. Um, it's more about here's when I need to raise my next round of capital, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, startup financing is not typical financing, right? Startup financing is milestone, milestone based, right? I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do X with your million dollars. Great. Here's a million bucks. I'm not going to give you, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to come back to the table when I spend those million bucks and ask for 5 million bucks because then I'm going to have bigger goals, right? Um, now the investor could just be like, well, I don't want to deal with this. Here's 6 million to get you to that like bigger goal, but they don't. That's startup financing. Here's a million bucks and it's out of the investor's control at that point, unless they sit on the board. And then you have, you have to come back and be like, here's what I did. Here's what I told you I was going to do. Now I need 5 million. Okay, great. We agree. Here's five million bucks. It's all milestone-based finance, mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's very it's very different. So than cash out stuff. day is that last day that you have. If I don't raise more last, money, yeah. What done. what am I gonna you know what am I gonna do? And you you, you know it's really important mm -hmm. cash burn cash out because cash burn is. I want to talk about cash. Burn how much too. money are you burning each month? How much money cash are you using each month? So you got a million bucks. You know how many months is that going to last you? Right now, for our audience, when you hear cash burn and you're not familiar with startups. You're just like, that is so foreign, right? Companies do not burn cash. They generate free cash flow. Um, but in the startup world, it's actually quite important. And this now goes back to accounting, accrual versus cash accounting, right? You can't always uh, depend on your accounting, especially if it's on an accrual basis, to manage your cash. So how do you manage through that? How do you use the accounting, accrual accounting, and be able to interpret that and explain what is my cash burn and more importantly, my anticipated cash burn? 
Yeah, you really um, you 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 use your books, right? But you know you need to know the nuances of the platform. Like if, if you're using QuickBooks, you can't just use your you know your cash flow to give you your exact cash flow. Uh, the way it treats um, uh, journal entries, journal entries, for example, awful, right? Uh, you know it, it's it can create a lot of confusion with mm -hmm. it with the customer. But you get your you know you get your cash burn number. Like I, I net net I I burnt two hundred thousand dollars this month, right? I've been on a hiring hiring binge. And, you know, we were still pre-revenue. So you're going to have a net negative free cash flow is, is another way to look at cash burn. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about variance reporting. Uh, we've talked about the cap tables. So the next one is 409A. Mm -hmm. Is 409A for the faint of heart? Like, should our audience really be in, in should they really engage in producing 409A valuations? And we'll keep our uh, journey off the table on this one. Uh, you should be involved in the process with the customer, right? But um, now, today, don't even touch trying to put a 49A uh, <laughs> valuation together. Find the right partner to do that with, whether that's a traditional provider, whether that's Shoebox, whether that's Carta, find the partner to do that with because it's, it's not going to be worth your risk to do that. What you can provide is the guidance of when you need to do a 49A. What the heck is a 49A? Yeah. Um, uh, why do I need it? And what is the what is the value? Because it's like a it's a it's a compliance document. It's like your taxes. Anybody got to do it? Anybody want to do taxes? No, no. Except because you need to do taxes in order to keep doing business, and we all want to keep doing business, so we do our taxes so that we can keep doing business. 49As are the same thing. It's a compliance document that says what your uh, the fair market value of your common stock. And why do you care about that? It's because uh, you raise that first seed seed money, you bring on that first employee, you're you're like, I'm going to pay you 75% of your market rate. Yeah. And that other 25%, I'm going to give you a, a hope stock note options. of stock options. And that stock option grant that you give has to go through a whole process. It's not as simple as like, here's an offer letter with 5% uh, of the company. Uh, that's great. But, uh, you know, that that is not the transfer of the value, right? You have to do a 409A to say, here is what the fair market value of the common is. And then you have that, that is your strike price for those options. Uh, and then you have to go through corporate governance to get the board to sign off on it. Then you as the CEO can write it, write a, a, a grant of options to the employee. There's a few other steps. So the, as well. the key here is you as our audience, right? This there is there is opportunity to create value here for your customers, especially in the startup world. With just, um, with just by being that advisor, just, just by, by being, being that advisor. shepherd of, of, I'm going to be with you proactively in that, in that journey, Steve, right? Not waiting for the founders to uh, you know, pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I need a 409A. It's just like today I was on a, uh, a call with one of our customers and said, congratulations, you've just raised three and a half million. You need a 409A like immediately because you're going to start hiring and you're going to start issuing options. And I said, let's not wait 12 months to do it because it will cost you half the price if we just do it right now. Uh, yeah. And the tidbits like in terms of an advisor, like get nitty gritty a little bit, like don't let them go 12 months, right? Because they, they have that offer letter to the employee with 5% here, 2% there. You and know, hopefully it's not percents. Hopefully, Hopefully it's, it's not percents, but uh, you know, you, you hand those things off and nobody thinks about it for another six months. That's the worst thing that these founders can do. Okay. As soon as you give that yeah. offer letter, you get that thing documented because it's, it turns into a cluster. Yep. And so we've talked about 409As. Let's go back to, because one of the things that I love about how we approach 409As is, um, and you do a great job of this, 
uh, you do scenario planning. And that's important because- With the cap table. With the cap table. So because you're going through the process of the 409A and you're digging into pro formers and you're digging into actuals and also corporate governance stuff and cap tables, Part of the value that you bring to the table when we do uh, uh, create 49As is you go through this process of like scenario planning. Now, what does scenario planning have to do with cap tables and the founder's equity? So I'll throw a scenario out there that uh, probably rings some bells with uh, some of you, our listeners. You've got a startup that has two, two, two owners and you got two convertible notes outstanding from family and you're raising a seed 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 uh, and they're not owners right, right? in co the corporate governance world for startups we never call them owners right true so you got two common holders you got cor uh, some uh, common uh, some convertible notes and you're raising a your first like uh price, price round, round right so why do you need a, a cap table scenario plan in this case is because your cap table says that the going back to our early example mm -hmm. the two founders own 100% of the company but that's not actually totally right because there are these two convertible note holders that have the right to a piece of that company uh, upon a, a future equity raise. You're about to go through that future equity raise. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to trigger the rights that those convertible note holders have to convert into uh, actual equity of the company. So A, you need to do a scenario plan to what happens when those convertible note holders convert into equity. And so you got that one variable, mm -hmm. then you got the seed money coming in. That's the trigger for these notes to convert. And you got those people coming in with, with dollars. So you have to have, what is your pre-money valuation? How many shares are outstanding? You got to know like nitty gritty of like, what are, how are these people coming on to the cap table? And what does the cap table look like after, immediately after this transaction? Why is that important to Be the founders? Because you need to know, uh, after this transaction happens, how much of the company do do I, as, as, as the co-founder, mm -hmm. still own? How, how much do we, as a co-founder, management team, still own? Because that is your control. Like if you if you have, still have seventy percent of the company, you can probably pretty much guarantee that, like for the next three years, you and your co-founder are probably on the same track. So let's spend the next five minutes kind of going through deeper into this hypothetical cap table, because I think it's actually important for our audience. And unfortunately, it's probably coming in at the end of the episode, but there's a lot of like, there's nomenclature here that we're not used to. Valuation caps, right? What is a valuation cap? So valuation cap, you'll see them on convertible notes. You'll see them on safes. And for those that don't get enough in this in this episode, like go check out our blogs, our, 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 our content around uh, convertible notes, safes, scenario cap table planning. But what's because, the purpose because, of, a cap, uh, of a valuation cap? So valuation cap, let's just go with convertible notes, right? Mm -hmm. Usually a convertible, convertible note will have a pre-money valuation cap. And it will also have a discount upon conversion, right? And so those two things in tandem give the holder of the note, whoever's your investor, um, uh, a, a better deal. Hmm. The idea is to give your investor, early investor, right? Because you use convertible notes usually earlier in your your uh, life cycle, mm -hmm. is, is to give your investor a better deal than the next guy. And what about accrued interest? So How often, that play oftentimes a convertible note will have that, that uh, cap, mm -hmm. the valuation cap. It'll have a discount and then it'll have an interest rate. So a convertible note is a note and it will accrue interest. Make sure you're accounting team is accruing interest on that because it's one big screw up that we often see yes. uh, on, on companies coming in for uh, accounting that have raised money on a convertible note. But you want 
the, your investor gets that interest, right? So they, let's say they invest 10,000 at the end of the day, when, it, when that converts, let's just say they've got $2,000 worth of interest, right? Mm -hmm. So it, even though they only put $10,000 of cash, they're going to convert that, that plus their interest into equity. So they're going to convert $12,000 worth of value into equity. So that a, that gives them a better deal and you want them to get a better deal because you're asking them to give you money earlier in the process, which is riskier. So you want to give them that deal. You want to give them some interest. You also want to give them the, the ability to get a better uh, dollar per share than the, than the series, a, mm -hmm. series seed guys. Um, uh, because those, those people are coming in later in the day and have less risk at the table. And so the, discount upon conversion is says that if I raise money below my pre-money valuation cap, the notes holders are going to get a better price per share than the new money. I mean, this is confusing stuff. It's, 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 it's confusing, but now, it's, what it's about also preferreds? Gets me jazzed. <laughs> like in the startup world, we hear a lot about safes, convertible notes, price rounds. Can you spend a few minutes on what's a preferred round? Uh, so preferred round is, is usually your, your series seed, your series A is going to have a, uh, a preferred share class. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have your common shares and you're going to have your preferred shares. Preferred shares can be a whole lot of different preferences, but in general for startups, the vanilla version of a preferred share class would be that they have a 1x uh, liquidation preference and the right to convert into common if it would be uh, in their economic interest. So this is good. Obviously, for our audience, I mean, this is a lot to take in in 45 minutes. I think one of the things I wanted to get out of this episode was to share a little bit of our experiences. And yes, maybe our journey started more as the advisor and we moved into FP&A and accounting and so forth and tax. So maybe it's a little bit of an advantage uh, because we, we didn't really use accounting as a crutch. Um, today, we still during the finance, during the uh, sales process, we still lead with FP&A, right? Um, and someone smart once told us, I think it was Ian over at Carbon. He said, you know, if if I were you guys, I probably wouldn't take on another accounting customer unless it was also an FP&A customer. And there's a lot of truth to that. And we were actually, you know, we were doing pretty well on on that side of the Q, you know, Q4, Q1. I think for every four accounting customers, we were we were bringing on one mm -hmm. FP&A customer. That has totally slowed down, right? The FP&A has kind of chilled a little bit, but accounting has blown up. I mean, part of the reason why we were growing at 50, 55%, I think last month we grew 64% or something crazy. It was actually all because of accounting, because I think accounting grew almost 80% uh, in August year over year. So point being here is like startups are a really great place. Uh, it's a great customer segment, very niche, right? Yes, there's a, there's a learning curve, but it's not rocket science. And half of these founders, really what they're looking for is a long-term relationship. And most of these founders, when they're successful, they're onto their next gig by the yeah. time they sell their their. their and those are going to be your best customers, not just because they'll come back to you, but because they know what they want, right? Yeah, no, that's a great job. So we gave you top five reasons. And I think I'll, I'll give it to Steve on that one. That is probably the best reason that, yes, with small, medium-sized businesses, you know that the average business, like 20% of all small businesses, you know, they go out of business, right? Uh, so the average duration of a business is like five years here in the States. So, but that business owner isn't going to go start another business and they're not going to, they don't close down their coffee shop five years from now and then open up another coffee shop. That doesn't make sense. In the startup world, it's different. 
these guys, these people, they're like cranking out companies. And we've had multi uh, serial entrepreneurs, right? And yeah, they're great customers. Think of it. Think of it. Uh, getting becoming that advisor for startups. Think of it as your professional development. Spend your professional development time learning about it, uh, thinking about it, starting to put down processes, procedures, and then you know use that one customer that really wants to take a risk on you. Embrace it. Embrace it. Yeah. And 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 try it out because they're gonna they're gonna help you learn, grow, and develop. It's a great market segment um, because there is stickiness. And there is process. Uh, there, it is repetitive, right? And you, there's an algorithm to what the typical startup needs. You know, if you were to look at our carbon uh, pieces of work for FPNA and uh, fractional CFO services or virtual CFO services, you're not going to see like a whole lot of difference between the carbon uh, pieces of work. They're actually quite similar, and so uh, it's a great, great opportunity. I would say there's good price elasticity um, in, in this part of the market. It is less commoditized than monthly bookkeeping. And so the, these founders, you know, even if they're serial entrepreneurs, they're really focused on product and customers. So if anybody wants to talk shop around startups, Steve and I are always happy to talk. So for sure. Thanks, Steve. This was good. Appreciate it. And maybe we'll have to do this uh, again. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, everyone.